Welcome into the Loud Outs podcast. We are so excited to spend a little time with you today. CJ and I don't always get a chance to uh, spend time together. We get sad if we're not on MLB Network Radio, but today, uh, just because our, our schedules don't line up, uh, we fire off a podcast. And today's podcast, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it, was reached out by a couple different people uh, asking about the woes of the Cardinals. So we'll dive a little bit deeper into the Cardinals' defensive problems and maybe if there's a chance that they can turn it around. Uh, mm. I have a feeling we're going to be very grumpy old menish uh, when it comes to a rule that has bothered CJ and I for years. And it came to a head the other day in Houston and uh, Davey Martinez. Oh, my God. Uh, his reaction to it, if you didn't hear about it, uh, we'll explain it a little bit later on. And then CJ had firsthand glimpses of the best player on the planet, Shohei Otani. He's still making the sound because he does not like to watch Shohei Otani play. And then uh, I have I a do, question. just not against the Rangers. <laughs> That's fair. And then I have a question about uh, if you're a pitcher and you watch an outfielder do this, are you cool with it? We'll, we'll have to explain that a little bit later on. All right, CJ. Um, let's start with the St. Louis Cardinals. This has been like massive, massive story around Major League Baseball. There was a day off on Thursday. They just got swept by the San Francisco Giants in St. Louis, uh, which I don't think happens too often. So the Giants go in there. They took care of business against the Cardinals. It was a devastating loss late. Uh, Mike Ostrowski was down 0-2, ends up hitting mm -hmm. a, a tying uh, two-run shot, and then they lose it later on. And, and I felt like, and I still continue to feel like there's a bunch of things not going right with the Cardinals. And as the day progressed after Thursday's loss, there were all these different votes of confidence of, of players for Ollie Marmol and the coaching staff. So before we get into defense, let's just start there. I mean, this is one of the worst starts the Cardinals have had. Uh, it's their first losing season in 15 years. So it's not like this is a regular occurrence. Mm. And uh, I guess if you're going to go big, go big or go home. Um, what's your feel on on players having to give a vote of confidence for a front office right now for for Ollie and the coaching staff? So I'd say this. They're, they'll they'll say the right thing, right? I mean, I you know, I don't know if what we heard was 100% their true feelings. And maybe it was. And if, if they are, great. But at the same time, if you're asked about a manager and you're a, a respected player who's been around a long time, I mean, all players should do this, right? But if you're... Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, right? These guys are saying the right thing, right? They've been around long enough, so um, they know better. But if they were actually upset or uh, thought to themselves, maybe it's time uh, for a change or things that they don't like, I don't think they're going to air those grievances publicly. Uh, so I think that part was good that they that they said the right thing and they're real professional about it. There's no doubt that Ali Marmol is feeling the pressure right now. I think you can see it uh, on his face a little bit. And, uh, I, you know, we've talked about it a bunch. They don't necessarily panic in. Uh, St. Louis, right? They don't have a lot of turnover, the managerial position over the years. However, this is uh, not a good team and things just don't look well from the outside at all. And there's just been too much, I think, coming out of that team that has you question the manager to some degree. So it's nice that the guys say those things. You'd expect them to say those things and be professional about it. Um, but what's going on behind the scenes and what's really said, uh, I don't know. But it, they, they've handled it professionally. I think that's probably the most important part. And I'm sure that uh, Marmol appreciates that. And who knows? I mean, maybe they are 100% sincere. But right now, it's just been really messy over there. I will say this. When when they played the Rangers and watching them, and they just look cranky. Like, you know, and like, you know, just some miscommunication in the field and like unapologetic about it. You know, sometimes where you mess up and fall in the gap or whatever, and you 
go in front of a guy you make some contact but you still make the play and you kind of laugh about it like mm-hmm. oh my bad and you talk about it i felt like i didn't see that i felt like it was just a general kind of crankiness and i get it <laughs> losing is not fun and so it brings out the worst in you but i'd wondered about that and and sometimes it could just be the season and the losing it could be if you're losing but losing ugly or not liking what's going on in the clubhouse that can lead to some of that as well it's all speculation from the outside um, I know there were some thoughts about whether or not they would make a change because of the off day after getting swept. They've now lost five straight, two and eight in their last ten. I mean, all the all the bad things you're. They have the worst for. record in the National League, CJ. The yeah, worst record in the National League. They're bad. They're bad. So I mean, I was I, I didn't think they were going to make a change uh, just yet, but at twenty seven and forty two, and a winning percentage under four hundred, uh, man, that was not what they expected. Not even close. I, I still don't know. I still think there's a possibility a change could be coming before the year's over. All right. So let's get into why I think the record is what it is. And you know, 27 and 42 is still, no matter how you look at this record, it's, it's really poor. So it's, it is player performance. We know that you can't say that's it's, you know, it's a front office or it's a coaching staff. Come on, man. <laughs> Those are guys on the field competing playing. If you're like, you're 27, 42 for a reason. And so as we, we dig into some of the numbers and, and the one that has stood out for me, and, and I saw uh, the Cardinals at a, in a series against the Rockies earlier in this year, and, and you and I talked about this. It's like, oof, defensively, they don't, they don't look right. <laughs> like That's not the uh, back-to-back team gold glove you know, group that I've seen in, in years past. We knew that there was going to be optically, it was going to be different not having Yadi Molina there. And Wilson Contreras, and and we even pointed this out over over the offseason on Loud Outs on MLB Network Radio. We continue to say, hey, uh, like Wilson Contreras is a good player. He's a good hitter, but just watch and see how much the, the catching metrics are going to get impacted. And if you're a Cardinals fan, it's going to look remarkably different. We know it because we've watched him play a lot. And it happened. It took, what, 35 games? And then the Cardinals made a change. Um, Jordan Walker, you know, great story. 21 year old. I love the kid. Really smart. Great parents. All this stuff. Like the kid's going to be a stud defensively brutal in right field. (laughs) And the numbers, they, they backed it up. He was just not taking good routes. (laughs) They sent Chris Bryant down in the minor leagues. What was it? 2014, 15 to like work on his outfield defense and his defense, which was a lie from the Cubs just to to get that extra year service time. If you would have sent Jordan Walker down to the Meyer Lakes to work on his defense, that's not a lie. Like he could use the help. Mm-hmm. And so all those numbers started to add up. You have a team that CJ the last three years has been one of the worst starting rotations in baseball at getting the strikeouts. So they pitched a contact, which works great. And it works even better with shifts, the non-shift rules, an older aging group of veteran players, uh, pitching staff that pitches to hard contact, not just soft contact, and outfield defense that that took a bump and a new catcher. Now you can see in totality everything coming down like the sky's falling defensively at once. Yeah, I think it's interesting though. I mean, yeah, certainly you count on defensive shifts to play better defense, but the, you know the kind of gold gloves that they had been collecting and the great work that they were doing, even if you were anticipating somewhat of a drop-off. I can't imagine anybody thought it would be this significant. And they're moving guys around and trying to figure out exactly uh, the best way to get it done. But you're right. I mean, this is a pitching staff that doesn't match with a team. 
for years, that was the Oakland A's story. When they still had Matt Chapman and Matt Olson, uh, they were really good defensively, even before Marcus Simeon left and first went to Toronto, and then he's been here in Texas for a couple of years. Uh, they were a ground ball contact starting staff, and they had great defense behind them. They just matched it really well. The A's are still in that position, by the way. They had the least amount of strikeouts. We look at strikeout rate for pitching staffs uh, in the game. But the Cardinals are a top 10 team or a bottom 10 team. I guess how you want to look at it when it comes to strikeout rate. And so you're getting all of that contact, and it just hasn't worked out. I, I'd be really curious, and we'll never know this, but the defensive um, analytics people that they have within the organization, what their anticipations uh, were for this year, I think would be really intriguing to know. And then how it's played out so far. And, you know, were there people kind of raising red flags or trying to figure this thing out? Or did they make a mistake of relying too much maybe on information and not understanding, uh, of having a better standing of how things uh, were going to play out? But you're right. I mean, it's a contact team. It's a relatively high ground ball rate pitching staff. And uh, it has been uh, it's been bad. And it's just it's amazing to see such a change as quickly as it happened in St. Louis with them defensively. So. The numbers behind it also kind of validate what we're talking about. Right now, the Cardinals on defensive efficiency, which we, if you've ever heard us talking about defense, we bring this stat up. It's on baseball reference. You can check it out on the summary page. They are dead last, 660. And it's a simple equation. It's just the amount of balls that are put into play that are turned into outs. Pretty easy to understand. Uh, 660 is the worst in baseball by far. League average is 691. Mm. So the, the best teams in baseball, Tampa, New York, Padres, Brewers, Rangers, um, <laughs> top five teams are usually winning winning teams. Padres will turn it around eventually. I mean, they have to. They have so many underlying characteristics that say the Padres will be better. But the, but the Cardinals do not. And then as you go a little bit deeper, if you want to follow, uh, I like defensive runs saved. I like baseball info solutions. Uh, the DRS packet that we get, uh, the Cardinals are near the bottom of baseball in uh, defensive run saved. And then if you start digging into who's making you know the big mistakes for them, second base was a big problem. So they had to move Tommy Edmond into center field. So that forced Nolan Gorman uh, to play some second base. The, the numbers for uh, right field with Jordan Walker is a negative eight. But the one that really stands out is Nolan Arnato. And Nolan... I mean, based on where he's at right now, he's not winning a gold glove this year. I mean, I, I think it's safe to say it's going to be Brian Hayes or Ryan McMahon or somebody else. Right now, Nolan is not winning a gold glove. Ten straight gold gloves, he's not getting one. And the numbers bear it out. He's a minus one in defensive run saved, and all the other numbers and metrics are saying he's just not having a good year. Now, I don't know if a lot of that has to do with losing because he's highly emotional. Uh, I know him, so I can tell you from a personal standpoint, he's a very emotional player. Mm. And so he does take, at times, he will take his at-bats on the field. He'll take the losses personally because he does not like to lose. And you know this, like the acuity necessary to play defense night in, night out, you lose it when your team stinks. Yeah, that's fair. And, you know, like I say it all the time, losing brings out the worst in you, and then sometimes you start pressing and depending on how you take it, if you are an emotional guy and, you know, just can't compartmentalize it, not that he's not showing up every day and getting after it, but stuff will linger, stuff will weigh you down. And when it's to this level, it'll really weigh you down, right? I mean, it's one thing to, you know, be in a situation, let's just say the Cardinals were like two games over 500, like, hey, we're not getting it going yet, right? Like, we got to get this together. That's one thing. This is a complete 
other thing when you're the worst team in the National League right now. So uh, it could be part of it. I think it's probably fair. We also know we hear a lot of times guys talking about, you know, going through defensive slumps. So I think it's hard to, you know, you can speak to it better than I can. Hard to kind of wrap your brain around it. But I've heard enough guys talk about it uh, that they absolutely can. And these guys are much more aware, too, on how the DRS system works, right, and how you get graded for analytics. I've had conversations with uh, defensive analytics people who have had players come to them and talk to them about how they can score better, right? Not how Mm -hmm. can I play better and am I better for the team? How can I score better? What kind of things can I do? And sometimes that means actually laying back a little bit. Like when I heard that, I was like, what? Like that a player would go to uh, somebody who specializes in defensive analytics and say, how can I have a better DRS? Like that doesn't all, I mean, listen, the numbers definitely matter, but that's going to be, that's going to change how you, you know, go after balls or which pace you throw to, or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's, it's kind of wild to think. Um, and I get why it matters to that, but it's certainly not, should not be the most important thing. Um, you're just trying to win baseball games and do whatever you got to do to win. So that surprises me a little bit, but it is kind of amazing um, to see, because of course we know he's, he's one of the best, perhaps the best. Uh, to ever play that position, at least he's in the conversation when we we talk about Brooks Robinson and others uh, over the years. It's so hard to compare, um, but to think that he's gone in this kind of defensive slump is, is, you know, it's taken us back quite a bit, I think. It has taken us back. And uh, yeah, I mean, Nolan isn't the reason for all of it. It's a, it's a total team effort. Uh, but the Cardinals, I, I think the point that I, I, I want to finish off with when it comes to Cardinals and this this season CJ, this is not a overnight fix. The numbers don't bear it out. Um, There is no magic potion. Tyler O'Neill, Brennan Donovan, Nolan Gorman. I mean, even if you have a healthy defense, it's still like, I I, I don't want to say this is a lost season because they are in the National League Central. So they have a chance to, (laughs) they're still within striking distance, which is insane. But it does not, it does not appear to me with all of these numbers and age and the factors that we're dealing with that the Cardinals have a solution for this year mm-hmm. and whether they decide to punt on a season, if they were to, this would be the year to do it. Yeah. You're hundred percent. Right. The question becomes, where do they, where do they go? Right. You brought up Paul Goldschmidt as a potential trade candidate. I, I find that fascinating. We know Adam Wainwright's getting ready to retire. When you look at, you know, free agents, immediate free agents. Um, they don't really exist, at least as far as some of the big names. Now, you do have the pitchers, the guys that are on the one-year deals, but the guys that are on the multi-year deals, um, you still got some time. Jordan Montgomery's a free agent. Jack Flaherty uh, is a free agent uh, after this year. I think those are probably Jack Flaherty more than uh, Montgomery um, is probably a name that we could potentially hear about. Uh, he's had some ups and downs, but he's looked really good at times uh, this year. Um, but I'm with you that this is probably that year, but they are also locked in. Uh, Nolan's got a few more years left on his deal runs through 2027. I mentioned two more for Goldschmidt. You have two more after this one for miles. Michaelis. I know. I don't know if that could be a potential trade. Probably not. The Wilson Contreras deal is already regrettable. He's hitting under 200 now, by the way, we went through that whole kind of situation with his catching and look like he got out of it. Uh, but he still has four more years. Steven Matz has two more years. Uh, Gallegos has another year like they're they're in a position where yeah okay you can punt and you're going to get a good draft pick next year um, but they don't have a ton of flexibility with some pieces that are really struggling and they're going to be there for a while <laughs> uh, I'm sure they would love to have Shoei Otani that that would solve it all uh, you're in Texas you just watched the Otani show for four consecutive games 
it's it's remarkable what he's able to do. I know the the series didn't go in the favor of the Rangers, but but from a fan's perspective, you saw him hit four homers. You also watched him pitch. Mm. Um, the season his pitching numbers aren't quite as good as they were a year ago, but they're still really damn good. Uh, overall, f- for him, he's the hardest guy to get a hit on in baseball in starting rotation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, his numbers, he's still striking out over 11.5 per nine, which is insane. He's also leading the American League in homers. Give me a sense. I mean, I, I have I get to see Otani next weekend uh, when he comes to town. Give me a feel for Otani. Yeah, so he picked up his sixth win. It's funny, and I'm with you. It's like I think we kind of gloss over some of the pitching stuff and say, well, you know what? It's not as dominant. It's still great. I mean, he's six and two with a three point two nine. You bring up a good point um, as far as you know the batting average against best in baseball. That's that's fantastic. The batting average against against is the best in baseball. His fastball. I know he throws the the slider more than anything. That sweeping slider. I still won't just independently call it a sweeper. I'll give you a sweeping slider. I'll leave it at that for now. Um, but his fastball, righties were hitting 034 against his fastball coming into yesterday's game. 034 against his fastball. And he was touching 100 miles an hour uh, in the game last night. He also hit a home run. Another opposite field home run two nights ago in the Wednesday game when he had two home runs. He had a bomb off of Will Smith in a game, the one game that the Rangers won in that four game series. It was 400, I believe it was 453 feet, it is the second longest opposite field home run. Uh, since we've been measuring with StatCast, not hit in Colorado or Mexico. Like Brandon Crawford has like some ridiculous opposite field home run, like 480 feet that he hit in Mexico. I can't count that. There's no way. Yeah, was uh, that like 12,000 feet? Yeah, him, <laughs> him, him and Joey Gallo have the two longest. Gallo's came in 2017, and apparently he got Shohei Otani uh, by a foot. But it went into the second deck. It was an absolute bomb, and he hit it to the opposite field. Uh, and the thing I've been enjoying with him and watching him, and I know everyone has seen it, and it goes back to last year a little bit to some degree, but especially this year and after the WBC, is he's showing all this personality. Right, He's watching some home runs. He's looking into the dugout and getting guys going a little bit. There is this new kind of emotional part of Shohei Otani, and why not? I mean, you're about to be a half a billionaire, and so I would probably be pretty excited um, about it as well. Whoever's going to give him that money, it's coming. He is ridiculously good. Uh, the Angels are, are getting better. Their bullpen is really good. They've made some significant changes to their bullpen. They continue, much like the Mariners, I think you and I talked about this, calling guys straight up from A. There are teams that have teams in the PCL that are bypassing AAA completely. It's yeah. not a great pitching environment. The ABS, the automatic ball and strike system, makes it even worse, quite honestly, uh, because you're just not getting any calls at all, and they don't want to expose their arms that they want to help them in the big leagues to it. They've called so many guys up um, from AA and continue uh, to do that. But they've revamped their bullpen, and they got a good one now. They have a really good one uh, in the back end. Esteva struggled. Uh, in this game on uh, Thursday, but he's been fantastic. Perfect 18 for 18 and save opportunities. So the angels are coming. I think that, you know, the starting staff got off to a slow start, but Reed Detmers has been better. Shohei Otani's really good. Tyler Anderson looks like he's starting to kind of figure it out. His changeup hasn't been great this year. Um, they're, they're good. And uh, they're going to make it interesting. The guy that's scuffling Spilly, Mike Trout. Mike Trout. Did you see that note I sent you? I, we, I read, Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. Mike Trout, if you didn't hear us talk about this on the radio show or you don't watch the Rangers on Valley Sports Southwest, this year on all pitches, 90 miles an hour or harder that are right down the middle. Mike Trout over the years has hit 420, 430, OPS 1300, OPS 1100. This year, he's hitting 100 on those pitches with a 350 OPS. It's hard to believe. Somehow you're watching this team 
and going, it's like almost like you're not even noticing Mike Trout right now, which is crazy. Just absolutely crazy. Um, but he hasn't quite been the same. He's still good, yes, but we've been spoiled by him. Um, and But this team is good, and somehow they're doing it without getting the best version of Mike Trout right now. Insane, but they have the best player on the planet in uh, Shohei Otani. He's hitting yeah. 301 and leading the American awesome. League in homers, and he has double-digit stolen bases. He's just, I mean, he's 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 a unicorn. Uh, enjoy while hey, last. Before I want you, to know why the three got. Oh. Why did Ramon De Jesus throw everybody out yesterday? Oh, okay, so that was wild. Yeah, there's a couple. There was a lot going on um, in this series. So uh, Marcus Simeon thought he checked his swing. It was borderline. Uh, they said no. He started. He just seemed really upset about it. Marcus is about as as uh, even keel as a player is in the big leagues. And it was the final out of the inning. He was kind of walking down toward. Kept walking at first, like I said, they were going to change their mind. Uh, eventually goes in, you know, takes his batting gloves off, goes back out to go play second base. Ramon De Jesus was the first base umpire. And, you know, Marcus, you, you could see it. I mean, it didn't look like he was using bad language, but he just uh, was talking to De Jesus about it and got thrown out of the game. This was in between innings. We were, at, we were in a commercial break when it happened. He got thrown out. Mike Maddox, the pitching coach, went sprinting out there. He got thrown out. Bruce Bochy was right behind him. He got thrown out. And Ramon <laughs> DeJesus just started firing guys off uh, left and right. It was, I'm not going to say it was an egregiously bad call. It was a close call. Uh, the check swing was close. Um, but he rung him up and he got booted. Uh, but it was wild, man. Anthony Rendon. So Brandon Drury, the first game of the series, uh, got in Ramon DeJesus' face and made contact with him and got a one-game suspension. Uh, he appealed, but then eventually took his suspension yesterday. So there was a lot going on there with uh, DeJesus in this. Well, he ends up taking his uh, suspension, so they're down a man on the bench. Giovanni Urshela, uh, in his first in his first at bat, trips over first base, has to come out of the game. But now they're down to a two man bench. Anthony Rendon gets hit by a pitch and stays in the game, and he comes up for his next at bat and doesn't swing, and he punches out. And I said, you know what? I said he didn't swing there, did he? I was like, I bet you that wrist is bothering him. Next at bat, takes a strike, tries to bunt twice with two strikes. Strikes out again, struck out in his third at-bat. He did not take a swing the rest of the day. Um, so I don't know what's going on with him, if he's going to have to go on the I.L. because they just put Zach Neto on the I.L. as well. There was a ton going on right now um, with the Angels. We're going to talk to Phil Nevin on live outs today. I'm going to be on with Jenny. Um, but, yeah, there was um, it was a wild series, but uh, ultimately coming away with feeling like the Angels are pretty good. But Ramon De Jesus um, had himself a series. And he was getting beat up uh, by the fans uh, yesterday. And the Rangers certainly were not happy with that call. It was in a huge spot. I'm, I'm wondering, is three three ejections from a umpire like the most? Is there, or has there ever been an umpire <laughs> that's thrown out four individually? I, I mean, I'd love to find out. Is there a, I wonder if there's a baseball reference, umpire reference. Uh, has a staff for that. Okay. So a little bit of get off my lawn, Houston Astros and the Washington Nationals sticking on umpires for a second. Uh, I feel like the umpires have been in, in, in the news a lot this week, even had uh, Drew Smith in New York uh, yeah. with the Mets coming out. Cause his hand was too sticky. I, I still want universal stickiness. Uh, like I, I feel like it, it can't be an opinion. It has to have an actual measurable, like here's a pad of paper. This is sticky. This is your hand. You're out. Um, but when it, in the case of umpires this week, there, there's been some scrutiny and the nationals and I'm, I'm with Davey Martinez. I guess we have to present the play. So everybody that's ever gone to a major league baseball game, any baseball game, you have the foul lines or fair lines, however you want to call them. I call them foul lines, uh, but if it hits the line, it's fair. So I don't, I don't understand it, but whatever, <laughs> just like a foul pole. If it hits a foul pole, it's actually fair. It should be called a fair pole. 
regardless, semantics. You have a 45-foot line that is on the foul territory side. And as a base runner, when you hit the when you hit the ball, you become immediately a base runner. You are allowed to run in fair territory up until you see the 45-foot line. Then you must be in between those lines. And in fact, you should be in foul territory. I believe if your foot is on the fair line or foul line and you get hit, you technically should be out. You need to be Uh, both feet. I went back and read this rule because all the chaos, because it gets really specific. Um, Both feet have to be in. But if your foot is on the line, it does count as being. It has to be one foot. Your left foot has to be on it, right? Well, well, both feet have to technically the way the rule reads, both feet have to be in the 45 foot lane. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. technically you should be you should be out of play when you're running to first. So yeah, the you'll play, be in foul territory, but your left foot can be on the that foul line. It could be on the foul line. But to, yeah. the whole point is that you should be able to get like a fielder, catcher, pitcher should have a clear throwing lane. Yeah. Without a base runner in fair territory preventing the fielder from catching the baseball. That is how the rule is supposed to be. It's for the protection of, of several players. And on uh, on a game on what was it, Wednesday night? Uh Astros. Uh, yeah, Tuesday or Wednesday. I can't lose track of our days. It's baseball season. Astros Astros are are winning this game. The Nationals score three in the top of the ninth inning to tie it up at four. And then in the bottom of the ninth inning, I think Jake My- Myers is is the one yep. that's hitter. Um, he, <laughs> it's going to be a, a a throw. It should be an out at first base. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Chavis is now blocked by Jake Myers, and then uh, it ends up making this chaotic play, which Jose Abreu comes around to score. The game is over. Now, the home plate umpire for for this game is Jeremy Riggs. And Riggs has a clear line of sight of the play. Mm. And as you go back, if you go back and watch this play, um, Myers is running in fair territory the entire way. The entire way. And then at the last like foot, he kind of veers off. And by that time, it's too late. Chavis misses it. It forces a, a bad throw from the catcher. I think it's Caber Ruiz. And then post-game, Davey Martinez lets it eat. He takes a photo of Myers well past the 45-foot line in fair territory and goes, I'm over it. This rule needs to be addressed. It needs to be fixed. And I'm with Davey. This this rule really bothers me. And how players don't know it bothers me even more. So I'm with you. He was right. And they missed the call. And the way that the rule reads essentially is that you have to be in that lane so that you're not interfering with the throw at all. We had a plate. I used to, I thought I had actually hadn't thought this mistakenly that even if you didn't run in it and, but you didn't interfere with the throw that they could still call you out. Um, but I guess that's it has to hit you. Yeah. So, or just, yeah, somehow you have to get in the way of the throw. Right. So like in this situation where you had the, who was receiving the throw at second or at first, uh, I was at first Michael Chavis. Yes. Yeah, so that's right. Michael Chavis. So like, you know, it looked like there was kind of a collision like this, or, you know, everyone kind of got there, the ball runner, his glove around the same time, clearly a violation of the rule. Like clearly to me, that was an absolute no brainer. Why we can't review this is also ridiculous. You go look at it. I mean, it cost them the game. And if it happened in a different time of the game, I believe the runners also have to go back right in that spot. 
Like it was just, it was really bad. Now that was, it would have been an inning, inning double play. They would have went to extra innings and it didn't happen. So he was furious and it was good. He made a really strong point. He brought the picture. You can't ignore it. Now I've heard rumblings that major league baseball or has something in the hopper that they're ready to do with this 45 foot lane play. I'm not exactly sure um, what it is. And I think it's more about a rule for next year to have a little bit more clarification, whether they, you know, you and I talked about this, right? Whether they add something in foul territory, that's just for the runner, whatever it may be. But even then, it's like, well, listen, the rule exists. Call it when it happens. Like, that was clear as day. Like, call that when it happens. But also, Major League Baseball needs to make that reviewable. Here's what I get worried about, because I don't want to see it happen. And I want to ask Bruce Bochy about it. And we're going to talk to Nevin. I might ask him about it as well. Should you just be hitting the runner when he's out of the Yes. Line? That's how I was trained. Crazy. Is that, I mean, will that, will that just put an end to it? I don't want to see anybody get hurt, Spilly, right? I don't, certainly not looking for a Rob Dibble where you're looking for retribution on somebody and you're just throwing a bullet at a runner. That's not it. Um, but at the same time, if it starts happening enough, guys are not going to do it, right? If you hit guys, I hate, again, I don't want to see anybody get hurt. But if a pitcher or a catcher is ever feeling that ball, sometimes even a third base when he's coming in on a bun or some kind of slow roller, if you just hit the runner or even throw it to his right, quite honestly, when he's out of the lane, because then it's going to show that you, uh, obviously um, obstructed to throw hitters will stop doing it. They'll stop doing it when they see guys getting drilled. I was trained at, at, in high school when I caught when little league, when I caught uh, in college, I remember we, we, that was like a thing where our, we work on bunt plays because mm-hmm. I mean, we, we would, this is a get, this is something like it's either taught or not taught. Okay. So you're either taught, how to do it properly or you taught how to do it improperly to gain an advantage. I've, I've experienced all of them. <laughs> I've experienced like run fair territory, veer off, see if you can screw up the, the catcher, yeah. uh, run down this line. If they don't throw it, you know, if they don't throw it at you, you, you might have a, you might have a chance to get a, a play. If you are the catcher, just drill this dude right in the back, especially if he's in fair territory, nail him. So I've, I've been given both. But what I've never, what it almost never is getting an umpire to call that play. Mm. You almost never get an umpire to call it. Almost never. And yeah. so at the major league level, that's, and especially when it comes to a game and Davey Martinez is right, that cost him a game. That's, that's a clear violation. And you're going into extra innings mm-hmm. after a, after a come from behind, you know, opportunity for them to tie it up. I get it. It's the Washington Nationals. They have the second worst record behind the, the behind the Cardinals. Regardless, it's a mess up call. It's wrong. Yeah. Now they blow it. It's it's bad, and we got to get it right. I think it's really important. Um, it's you know it's not fair to not be able to have a clear lane to throw the ball in. And I just I'm, I was in shock and how bad that was, and how badly they missed that, and how there's no retribution whatsoever for the Washington Nationals. But the point was made. I just you know hopefully it doesn't come up very often, but I, I do think that. Uh, like you were saying, the right play is probably what you need to do. And that's, you know, if you see a guy out of the lane, just hit him out of the lane. Because then what happens is the umpire is forced to see it. Well, that guy just got hit with the ball. Where is he standing? Oh, he's out of the lane. All right. Well, that's a violation. He's out and the runners have to go back. It's not, listen, you know, and I get why you do it, you know, as a runner. Um, but I think there's a, a quick and easy solution to this, at least in the in the meantime, for the defensive teams to try to put an end to it. On the flip side, there probably needs to be some kind of adjustment. It's coming up too often. Right. It happened to the Nationals in the World Series in that ballpark in Houston. So they've lived it before, as has everybody else who has been around this game. But whether they do something different with the lane, I don't know. Um, I think it would work just to add a nine inch or 10 inch, whatever, 12 inch base that's in foul territory that is only for the runner. 
All right. I have two more quick things that we want to get to Dodgers and the White Sox. Uh, yesterday it was a walk-off for the Dodgers. They came from behind. Um, give me a feel. If, I'm not sure. Did you get a chance to see the play? Freddie Freeman hits the ball to center field. It's bases loaded. Nobody out. Uh, bottom of the ninth inning, Luis Robert, who's been really good on both sides of the baseball. I mean, ever since he got benched by uh, Pedro Grifol in, in May, he's been good. He's also was dealing with some hamstring injuries. But you start looking at outs above average, all of it across the board. Mm-hmm. Luis Robert has been fantastic. Um, the ball hit to center field is probably close to the warning track. Yeah. So, I mean, do I think Luis Robert could catch this baseball? No, not really. Hmm. But what stands out in this play as Luis Robert is watching the ball getting hit from Freddie Freeman, bases loaded, nobody out, bottom of the ninth inning. He doesn't move. Yeah. And it doesn't go over the fence. No. If you're a pitcher or I I like optically, I really didn't like it. You know what I'm saying? Like optically, I saw it and it it kind of pissed me off. I was like, what the the first time it's happened this week? I can't remember the other game I was watching, but it happened. And there's an opportunity for you at least to catch the ball. I get it. The game's over. You're not going to throw a guy out tagging, whatever. Go catch the baseball. Help your pitcher out. It's another hit for the pitcher in that spot, right? On what should have been a fly ball. It's a bad look. I, I, like, there's too much like dig me cool guy stuff that I see. You know, just go play the game and play it hard and be a cool guy when the game's over, or when the ball when the ball's not in play. But I mean, it was it was a terrible look. I get it. The game is over. Do you think that he was so upset? That's why he did. It. He's so mad that they lost. No, he's just being lazy. Like that's the look. Well, I you know it doesn't matter because even if I catch it, he's going to tag and score and the game is over. So what? Go catch it. You got something better to do. For those six seconds, it's, I'm with you. It wears me out, but it's not the first time I saw it this week. I cannot remember which one it was. So I don't want to speculate, but it was another situation where a ball was hitting center and wasn't going to matter if you caught it. Just catch it. Get the extra out. It's, it's a bad look, and it just everyone's going to be mad anyway when you get walked off like that, and all that does is add to it. Just another well, reason. Well, and the part that was – I mean, it's, it's not just from – a White Sox perspective, a fan's perspective, the reaction from the Dodgers guys, like Freddie Freeman was like looking around. He's like, why didn't he try to go catch that? <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, we won, but like, why didn't that guy go? Okay. Yay. I got a hit. Terrible look. It's an absolutely um, terrible look. And I hate, I hate seeing it. I just, I really do hate it so much. Just, I just, okay. what's the point? We get it. You're cool. You're a great athlete. Go catch the baseball. <laughs> go get it. Um, oh, all right. So that I had, I had a feeling we were going to have to get off my lawn moments. Uh, last one, yeah. we'd probably need to spend an entire show. We probably should do this on, on a future loud outs podcast, but going through every piece of, of what's going on in Oakland, the reverse boycott that happened, uh, the fallout from the fans fallout from commissioner Manfred, uh, saying, you know, it's nice to see an average crowd in Oakland. Uh, but the update there is, uh, Governor Joe Lombardo, he signed the SB1 uh, bill on Thursday, which uh, established a public financing package of up to $380 million to fund the proposed $1.5 billion stadium. Now, this is less than the original $500 million proposal that uh, the athletics were trying to get. And so it's dropped down to $380 million. It uh, It was agreed upon. 
the governor signed off on it. And now it's the next step for the Oakland A's is that there is a uh, ownership committee that is led by Mark Anastasio, the owner of the Milwaukee Brewers for the relocation. And they're going to have a subsequent um, voting of it for the owners, which most likely is going to occur. So this will be the first team to move officially since 2005 when the Montreal Expos moved from Montreal to Washington area. So they became the national. Um, But this looks like all but done when it comes to Oakland and the A's. And eventually, my guess is next year, you're going to have Las Vegas. uh, You're going to have a major league team in Las Vegas is my guess. They're going to play where the aviators are. That's they already uh, got permission. There's no question. That's good. Yeah, they already have permission to do that. There's probably not much to lose at this point. There's been a lot of emotion this week over this entire thing and really throughout the whole process. And I get it. And I don't know who to blame. You know, was the owner sandbagging here to make this happen? Were they putting their best foot forward to try to keep the team in Oakland over the past decade or so? We've been hearing about it for a long time. I don't know. I'd like to think so. But uh, we, you just never know. Um, it's 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 awful. It's awful for baseball, but it's going to be better in the end. Right. I'm sitting here at Globe Life Field right now looking around at this beautiful ballpark and they're going to have something like this in Vegas. And it's going to be it's going to be great. Now, if they, you know, can fill it up and they can be a winner again and they can increase their revenues. And ultimately, all of those things are, are better for baseball. You know, people get mad. I, I don't say it for political reasons or anything else, but it's really is becoming more and more difficult, obviously, to do business in Northern California. I mean, Nordstrom's left downtown San Francisco, the Park 55, which used to be a big hotel. Uh, and I think another uh, large Hilton, the owners of that hotel walked away from it and let debtors take it. Like it's just, it's become unfortunately a bad um, situation. The Westfield Mall group uh, with that monster mall in, in San Francisco walking away. Like it's just a bad time. I, I hate it because I love going to Northern California. And, you know, San Francisco was always a great spot. That's where you stay when you play the A's and they have great fans and all the baseball history. But this is not just an A's problem. Now, again, whether or not they, could have done a better job. I don't know. I think they're, they're businessmen when it's all said and done. And they're trying to think of what is the best place for their business. And like so many other people uh, in that part of the country, they're taking their businesses somewhere else. And it's sad. It sucks because I loved going there, especially as a player. And um, things have just changed dramatically. And they're, they're not, you know, the A's are not the only one. Um, but hopefully they'll, they'll get a new big ballpark. Or they are going to get a new big ballpark. And we're going to have another really fun franchise. And hopefully it works in Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, I, and I'm with you. I mean, there's, there's plenty of examples of like employees of, of fortune 500 companies like Google uh, that they're scared to even go to work because their, oh, their cars sticks. are getting bro- broken into. So uh, I don't think that's, that's a, a problem specific towards, towards baseball and baseball fans, but it's no. to your points being heard. Um, there's a lot of issues going on in, in California that need to be addressed beyond baseball in a, in a stadium. No. Um, I, hey, I have did to you see that video. Did yep. you see the video I sent you? That was Michael Harris when the Detroit Tigers walked off the Braves. Should he have caught that ball? Could he have caught it? I just texted you the video. That was the one. I was trying to figure out which one it was. Oops. So it's Michael Harris. It is Tigers. It's five to five. He didn't do his he didn't go as bad like he gave up on it. it wasn't that, nearly one's, as that one's egregious. much harder. Yeah, but the one, so, so the Freddie Freeman one, here's the Freddie Freeman one. We'll finish up. Freddie Freeman hit a ball, exit velocity, 106.2 miles an hour. So he smoked it. It was a 42-degree yeah. launch angle, which is very high. Uh, it would yeah. not have been a home run. The ball traveled 356 feet, which is not very far. Yeah. Um, it's far, but not that far. Wait, it how far did it go? 356 feet. 
Okay. It had a seven second hang time and a hit probability of only 35%. All right. You don't know what Spencer Torkelson's hit probability was? 25%? 22. 22%. <laughs> so, yeah, Harris should have got it too. Oh. Harris is way better than I was ever in center field. Gold Glover money, Mike. Uh, so is Luis Robert. I mean, both are gold glovers. Yeah. Uh, but those those don't look good. They don't look good. Especially if you, I mean, like, go back, catch the baseball if you can, and throw it in there. Like, if a guy stumbles and falls, it could happen. Hook your pitcher up. Get him an out. It's already been a rough day. Uh, I will point. I will tell you one last story. This happened to me. I was in Sacramento. Uh, we were playing. Uh, I was in in A ball, and uh, in high A is the bottom of the ninth inning. I'm in left field. Fly ball deep to left field. Runners at third base. I run all the way back and I catch it at the warning track. Uh-huh. And I have a good arm. I threw it from the warning track home in the air. It was it was an airmail. The catcher catches the ball and the guy at third was like running like just jogging home. I threw him out. Oh boy. The the manager yanked the dude off the off the game. He was out of the game. He was out of the game and then didn't play for the rest of the series. His manager was livid. There was no way that he should have got thrown out. He got thrown out. That's brutal. Way to show him up, Spilly. That a boy. I didn't mean to, but it was great. Oh, no, what? Of course. That's hey, Sorry about it. <laughs> the ball was like in the air for nine seconds. Yeah. Uh, all right. That'll do it for us today on the Loud Outs podcast. And by the way, it was the bottom of the 11th inning when the, the Luis Robert play happened. I said bottom of the ninth. That's okay. We make mistakes here, but hopefully you listen to us on MLB Network Radio. Uh, CJ and I will be on it together next week, I believe, for a couple yeah. days. So looking forward to that. Have fun in Texas this week, buddy. Long road trip for you. Blue Jays coming in town this weekend. Should be another good series at Globe Life Field. Hardly right. any tickets left. Sweet. Serious XM Podcasts.